Well, hey, uh, one plus one equals the temperature outside. But you made it, right? This is Chicago, the city of big shoulders. So you're hearty people and you're here. And happy almost New Year's to you. You know, uh, uh, last time I was on stage, I was mentioned in some of our services that I was headed towards needing to assemble a large uh, dollhouse for my almost five-year-old daughter. Some people have asked me about that since then. It worked out really well. She loves it. So uh, no hashtag dad fail on that one, okay? So it worked out really well. Hey, uh, a new popular movie out right now is Murder on the Orient Express. Have you seen this one? I haven't. Uh, I was too busy assembling a dollhouse, okay? Um, but the, uh, the movie is based on the book by Agatha Christie, perhaps the most celebrated uh, mystery author of all time. In fact, her 80 novels have sold a billion copies. Yes, that is billion with a B. And that's just in English. Uh, she sold in another 103 languages or another billion more copies of her book. In fact, uh, Guinness World Records considers her the best-selling novelist of all time. And in all of literature, she is number three after the Bible and Shakespeare. So not too shabby, huh? Now, what you perhaps didn't know is that Agatha herself was the center of a mystery. It was on Friday, uh, December 3rd, 1926, about 10 o'clock at night. She went upstairs in her English estate, and she kissed her young sleeping daughter, Rosalind. And then she headed back downstairs, went to the garage, got in the car, and drove off into the night, not to be found. In fact, her uh, car was later found at uh, a rock quarry there, kind of crashed in place, uh, but she was gone. And she went missing for 10 days. And this became worldwide news. This was like front page of the New York Times. And uh, the, the theories were rampant around what had happened to Agatha Christie. You know, was, uh, some would say, was this a publicity stunt? Or did her unfaithful husband murder her? Or perhaps she had uh, done this to thwart her unfaithful husband from getting together with his mistress that weekend, some plans that he had set into place. Or maybe she was framing her husband for her own murder as a revenge plot. Or maybe at the, the rock quarry, at the car accident, she had, uh, had a head trauma and had just wandered off into the night. Well, whatever it was, uh, it absolutely caught the public's attention, so much so that a thousand police officers and 15,000 volunteers were dispatched to go find Agatha Christie. Even her uh, author contemporary, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who's famous for bringing us Sherlock Holmes, uh, he even got in on it. In fact, Conan Doyle was really into the occult. And so he got hold of one of Agatha Christie's gloves and took it to a medium to see if he could get in touch with her spirit. Well, as it turned out, uh, she was found 10 days later at a posh spa hotel in Yorkshire. But the situation is not what you think, because when they found her at the hotel, uh, they realized that she had no recollection of having left home, no memory of uh, what had gone on, or no awareness of the fact that there was a manhunt for her, and she had um, no memory of what had happened in the last 10 days. Well, biographers have kind of pieced together all that was going on here and have come to believe that she went into uh, what was called a, a partial amnesia. 
uh, the, the stress of not knowing where she stood with her husband, combined with her already in place uh, anxiety and depression, caused her to go into what scientists call a fugue state, a state of uh, partial awareness, but also partial blackout. And uh, various circumstances of fugue states have been uh, recorded in medical journals uh, in the hundred years before or since this happened to Agatha Christie. In fact, more than one pastor has been known to go into a fugue state. In fact, let me show you a picture of one. This is uh, Ansel Bourne, uh, for whom the amnesiac movie hero Jason Bourne is named after this guy. Uh, I'm thinking of changing my beard to perhaps reflect a bit of more of an Ansel Bourne look. Uh, what do you think? No? All right. Well, we'll stick with where we're at. So uh, Pastor Bourne lived in Rhode Island, and it was in 1887 that he didn't arrive at his sister's house at a planned trip across state. Instead, what had happened was he had gone to the bank, he drew out his entire life savings, and went to a small town in Pennsylvania he had never been to before, bought a house, set up shop there, literally set up shop. He bought a general store and became the, the store manager of this store. Everybody in town loved their new neighbor, thought this was great, loved the new store, until two months later, one day, he woke up, and uh, he had been going by the, the pseudonym Albert Brown. Well, he woke up, and he remembered he was Ansel Bourne, and he had no idea who Albert Brown was, and he had no idea of anything that had happened in the last two months. Uh, you'll notice that after having preached 11 times last weekend, Pastor Jeff isn't here this morning. So, we'll, we'll let you know once authorities find him, all right? Hey, uh, as you can see, memory is a very powerful and important capacity, uh, and that uh, losing your memory could be a, a terrifying or horrible condition. But did you know that God is sometimes afflicted by this condition himself? Yeah, that's right. God gets amnesia. In fact, let me share with you a little bit of God's amnesia out of the scriptures here. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God says, I will forget their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Or for example, in Isaiah 43, it says, I am he who blots out their transgressions and remembers their sins no more. Yeah, this, uh, these passages and others teach us he will remember our sins no more. Or in other words, God forgets. And this notion of God forgetting is, a, I think it's a fascinating one. And it uh, has some complexity to it, which I think warrants a little bit of our study and consideration. I am convinced that if we knew a little bit more about God's memory capacities, that that would help us in our personal lives. And so I'd like to dive into a little bit of studying God's ability to both remember and his ability to forget. So let's start with this. The Bible clearly teaches that God never forgets. And how do we feel about that? Well, let's talk about the fact that God never forgets. God is infinite in his access, his authority, and his awareness. These are called his uh, omnipresence, his omnipotence, and his omniscience. In fact, look with me here on the screen. God's authority is his omnipotence, his ability to do anything that he wants. God's access is his omnipresence, his ability to be anywhere that he wants to be. And his awareness is his omniscience, his access to know anything he wants to know. 
He has full authority to speak into any situation. He has full access to every situation, and he knows the details of every situation. You could say that as the boss, God has an all-access pass, and he has access to all of the security cameras and all of the footage of all of the cameras. And this could be kind of an alarming thing because he sees a lot. In fact, if you think of it, there's a lot of bad situations out there. There is no shortage of things for God to judge. And there's a lot of bad situations in here, if you haven't noticed that either, in your and my inner worlds. Again, there is no shortage of situations for God to judge. And we should take note of this because God's not messing around. God takes all of this sin quite seriously. God never forgets. In fact, in the Bible, God is referred to nine times as a consuming fire. Let me read for you a couple of these passages. In Deuteronomy, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Or going on to Isaiah here, it says, See, the name of the Lord comes from afar. With burning anger and dense clouds of smoke, his lips are full of wrath, and his tongue is a consuming fire. Or later in Isaiah, it says this, The Lord will cause people to hear his majestic voice and will make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire, with cloudbursts and thunderstorms and hail. Or the uh, New Testament summarizes all of these different passages when it just simply restates, our God is a consuming fire. Do you get the picture here? God is not to be messed with. He is full power. He is full vengeance. What are we to do with this consuming fire? Well, it was in uh, C.S. Lewis's allegory, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that one of the characters, Susan, asks this question. She says, uh, she's speaking of Aslan, the lion, who is a picture of Jesus. And she asks, is he safe? And the answer comes back to her and says, no, of course he's not safe. But he is good. This is, of course, a picture of Jesus. He is wild. He is untamed. And yet he is trustworthy and just. And so let's start with this. We want God to be a consuming fire. You want God to see evil, to judge evil, to avenge evil. We need that kind of assurance. When we see images of uh, genocide or of children being abused or of human trafficking, you know, the kind of stuff that reflexively causes us to say, come Lord Jesus, What we're really saying is that we are made in the image of God and that our image is designed to resonate uh, with God's image. It's designed to respond negatively to evil. We want to see justice because we're designed to resonate with evil being judged. And not only do we want God to be an unrelenting God who never forgets and is that consuming fire, we need God to be an unrelenting God who never forgets and is a consuming fire. Listen, we are too limited in our power, in our perspective, 
in our purity for us to accurately avenge evil. We need God to be a judge or an avenger because who else can? In the last book of the Bible, some Christians are murdered. Let's see what they have to say. This is in Revelation chapter 6. They called out in a loud voice from heaven. They said, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Notice, these are Christians. They're in heaven. They've already been made holy, pure, and yet they are asking for justice and avenging. For God to avenge is not an unholy or impure act. Or for us to want God to avenge is not an unholy or impure thing. You know, a a friend of mine was telling me about how she was uh, physically and emotionally abused by her dad consistently through her growing up years. And as she was telling me about this, uh, my, my inner spiritual reflex was just, man, if that man does not turn, there is going to be hell to pay for that. You know, Jesus has the same spiritual reflex. Let's look at it here in the Gospel of Luke. This is Jesus, or excuse me, Matthew. This is Jesus speaking. He says, If you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you had a large millstone been tied around your neck and you'd been drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is not shy about talking about God's judgment. And we need God to be a just judge. You know, the Bible is very clear. God will never forget. The Bible is also very clear that God will always forget. And guys, this is good news, especially when I'm the one doing the sinning. Because you and I full well know all of the the prideful and the self-centered and the rebellious things that we have done. And yet time and again, he is uh, long-suffering. He is generous of spirit with us. In fact, let's uh, look at some passages in Scripture that point out the fact. The psalmist writes, O Lord, you are so good. You are so ready to forgive. You are so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Or elsewhere in Scripture it says this, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you. Or in the New Testament, Paul writes this, Nothing... Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible is very clear. There is nothing that you or I could do that God would not be willing to forgive and forget. You know, I, uh, I grew up going to church. And the, the church I attended, across the street, there was a, a Christian bookstore. And I hate to even tell you this, but... When I was in middle school, I would, uh, between worship services, I would go across the street to the Christian bookstore t- sometimes, and I would uh, shoplift Christian music cassette tapes. How whacked is that, right? You know, they say in church, if, uh, if somebody steals your Bible, that they probably need it more than you do. Um, I hope that thought, uh, I think it maybe applies to, to Christian music as well, I don't know. But here's my point in saying that. That's just the tip of the iceberg. You and I well know all of the uh, stupid and shameful things that we have done. 
And when God forgets, it is a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen. So what's going on here? Because how is it that half the time God never forgets, and then the other half of the time he always forgets? It's like half the time he's a God of judgment and wrath, and then the other half the time he's, he's forgiving and he's drawing us close in a loving embrace. Which one is it? Is God a, a taskmaster or is he a teddy bear? Is God fickle? Is he two-faced? Is he double-minded? Do, do, does, does God have selective or partial amnesia? Well, let's look at some of these uh, polarities in Scripture here. In fact, I want to put some Bible passages side by side here, just so the contrast pops at us. This is in Joshua. Then Joshua warned the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, he said, for he is a holy and a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. And yet look over here in Psalms. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Let's look at another pair. In Isaiah, the Lord of heaven's armies has revealed this to me, Isaiah writes. Till the day you die, you will never be forgiven for this sin. That is the judgment of the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. And yet look over here. Though we are overwhelmed by our sins, you forgive them all. I'm scratching my head here. I don't know what's going on. Let's look at another pairing. Jeremiah. Therefore, this is God speaking, I will surely forget you and I will cast you out of my presence. I will bring on you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. Look over here in the New Testament. I'll forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Is this one God or two? You know, oh, I know what it is. God was one way in the Old Testament and then he uh, kind of transitions his persona and becomes a different way in the New Testament. Actually, no, that's not it. That's not even how these scripture examples that we've been looking at so far even break out. You know, some people have thought that that's the case, but that's just not how it goes. But why does it seem that God is flip-flopping so much? And more importantly, how do I know that he is for me? How do I know that he's not going to flip-flop on me? How do I know that I can trust him not to turn on me? That he wouldn't go from, from teddy bear to grizzly bear just on a snap. Well, let's establish a baseline here for God's apparent mood swings in Scripture. You know, the Bible says that God's character is consistent, that he is rock solid. In fact, let me show you a verse. This is out of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can have full assurance in God's consistencies. There's a bunch of verses in Scripture like this. He does not change course on a whim. God's promises are secure. God's character is consistent in the Bible. He is not a God of law in the Old Testament and then a God of uh, grace in the New Testament. He is both a God of justice and a God of mercy simultaneously. He is a person just as we are people. 
Well, actually, we are people because he is a person. But he is not a God of judgment sometimes and then a God of grace at other times. But he is a perfect blend of the two all of the time. Now, he does make clear decisions to judge in some cases and to forgive in others, but he comes with a complete set of holy emotions and is not internally divided any more than we are. For example, we might get uh, angry or frustrated with our child and even choose to punish them. But in doing so, that does not in any way negate our ongoing love for our child. And the same is true for God. You know, he has these various emotions that coexist without contradiction. These are not uh, dueling realities, but these are a dual reality. So let me summarize some points of where we're at so far here on the screen. God's character is eternally consistent. His nature does not shift. And God is interchangeably both judging and loving, just like us. But get this, God's judgments and love are holy and pure, unlike us. And God doesn't have partial amnesia. What he has is the ability to choose to forget. And so let's establish another baseline here because you might say, if God can choose to forget, will he ever choose to forget me? And here's maybe I'm going to share a little bit of my dirty laundry um, here on the screen, this is a picture of my, uh, my son Jet's nursery. Uh, Jet's uh, almost two. I actually painted these lines on the wall there. You like that? Yeah, my wife does too. So let me show you a different view of the nursery, though. This is a shelving unit that's in his nursery. And if you zoom in here on this square, uh, this is a picture that's on the shelf in his shelving unit. In fact, I also happen to have it right here. Uh, the problem with this picture of Jet is that it's not a picture of Jet. Uh, This is the stock photo that came in the frame. (laughs) He's going to be two next month, and we haven't taken the time to put a picture of our own child in his own nursery. (laughs) But actually, it gets worse, because um, this is a picture here on the screen, and I have it in my hand here as well, uh, that I keep in my office of my family. There's no Jet in this picture either. I hate to tell you, but it actually gets worse. Um, these are the, the, the cluster of family portraits of our kids that we have hanging in our dining room. Um, I have four kids. There are only three kids in these pictures. We are horrible parents. Jet is a forgotten child, okay? Uh, thankfully, our Heavenly Father's parenting skills are a little bit better than mine, Okay? In fact, let me share a verse with you that describes whether God will forget us. This is out of Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Friends, the truth is, God will never forget you. And notice that this verse does not sugarcoat human parenting skills. Perhaps you have never met one or both of your biological parents. God will never forget you. Or perhaps 
uh, in your family history, there's a, a divorce and some of the uncertainties that would come with that. God will never forget you. Or perhaps one or both of your parents were uh, mentally unstable or emotionally absent or substance addicted. God will not neglect you. Jesus himself expressed God's ever-present care and concern for us when he said this. This is in the Gospel of Luke. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are precious to God. He will never forget you. The Bible is explicit that he likes you. He enjoys you. He wants to be with you. But if God is a God who never forgets, and he's a God who always forgets, then how do I know which times will be which? How do I know when he'll never forget versus the times when he will always forget? Well, that is a good question, and I'm glad you asked. The key is this. The key is repentance. God always turns towards us when we repent of our sin. Repentance is that thing that unlocks the heart of God and leads him from never forgetting to always forgetting. In fact, let's go to Scripture here. This is God speaking. He says, Perhaps the people of Judah and Israel, perhaps they'll repent when they hear again all of the terrible things that I have planned for them. Then I'll be able to forgive their sins and their wrongdoings. Or this is the uh, Apostle John in the New Testament. He says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. Well, let's look at another verse here. The psalmist writes, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sins. Let's look at this Bible formula here. The cross of Jesus Christ. When we respond to it with repentance... He will always forget. It leads him to always forget. Our just and loving God was satisfied his need for justice through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now when we by faith turn to him and repent, he is right there for us and all will be forgotten. Listen, friends. God is a consuming fire who is not to be messed with. But do you want him to forget that thing that you did last week? Or that thing that you did earlier in 2017? Or that thing that you did years ago? Simply repent. Just turn to him in authentic, personal prayer, and he will come and meet you right where you're at. God has legendary tenderness waiting for you. He wants to be drawn close to you and I. You know, I love uh, New Year's. Uh, It's a totally artificial construct. Uh, But there's something about that rebooting, that resetting, getting a new starting point uh, that totally connects with me. Maybe you're the same way. So in light of God being willing to uh, give us a fresh start, let's just uh, wrap things up here with 
having a better understanding of how we can connect with some of these realities we've been processing. And I want to start with this. Because he never forgets, I can let go. Because he never forgets, I can let go. He will avenge. I can leave those things that I'm concerned about into his care, and I can find his peace. Because he never forgets, I can leave those to him. He will avenge. I don't have to. I can leave it in his care, and I can find the peaceable result that he is willing to give me. You know, in the Bible, this kind of uh, peace is called shalom. And shalom is not the absence of war or the absence of interpersonal conflict. But shalom is the knowledge that it is well with my soul. It's the thought that uh, God is in control and I am not, and that's a good thing. Because what are the uh, alternatives? Payback? Bitterness? Friends, listen. Payback is narcissistic. Payback says, I know best, I am self-sufficient, and I'm going to be judge, jury, and executioner. Payback is pride. And bitterness is not much better. I've heard it said that uh, bitterness is a poison that I take, hoping that you will die. It's just going to eat us up from the inside out. Man, bitterness is that, it's a boomerang. I throw it so hard, and it always comes back around and just hits me. Shalom is so much better than payback or bitterness. And a God who never forgets is willing to take that burden for us in this new year. Let's take him up on it. Notice this God who never forgets, he'll repay evil. But the evil is for him to repay. That's not our role. And that scripture uh, principle is found uh, several times in the Bible. Let's look at one of them. This is in uh, the New Testament, Romans. Paul is writing, he says, Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, he's quoting the Old Testament, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God, the avenger who never forgets, is a good thing. You know, as strange as it is to say, we can have peace about some really hard stuff because we know that he never forgets and he will hold sin accountable. This here is a picture of uh, Gary and Bonnie Witherall. And Gary is on my uh, dorm floor in college uh, in Chicago. And Bonnie was in our uh, circle of friends. And it was uh, unexpected but uh, exciting when they started dating and then got married. Uh, But if you knew them, it was to be expected and even more exciting when they moved off to Lebanon to be missionaries. And it was in Lebanon that uh, Bonnie was working at a medical clinic for women. And she was uh, mentoring women there. She was uh, sharing the gospel with them. Well, it was uh, Thursday, November 21st, 2002. About 7 a.m., she was there at the clinic by herself, uh, getting things prepared for the morning. A knock on the door. Uh, She answered the door, and the gunman uh, shot her in the head three times, point-blank range. It was about an hour later that some of the women that she had been ministering to came, and they found her. Uh, The police wouldn't even let Gary in the building. It was too gruesome. 
and her assassin was never found. And this was like uh, news on all the news outlets all around the world. And Gary still serves as a missionary today. He's out of Germany, but he travels extensively around the world. Uh, he, he writes, he speaks. And uh, I want to read to you a quote from Gary on the day that his wife was killed and still today. Gary said this, Lord, because you have forgiven me so much, today I forgive whoever has killed my wife. Isn't that amazing? You know, there's a second takeaway here. Because he never forgets, I can leave it in his care. But also, because he always forgets, I can let go. I can let go too. He has forgiven me and he has forgiven others, so I should forgive me. And I should forgive others. You can forgive yourself of some stuff, and you perhaps need to do that. You know, he always forgets. We can let go. And he even has, uh, there's people that have called to him in repentance. They've wronged us, but they've called out to him in repentance. We can forgive them too. He's forgiven them, and now he's waiting for us to catch up. Let me show you this in the, in the Bible. This is in um, uh, the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, let's look at another one here. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. These are commands to believers. He forgives and forgets. It's time for us to to do the same. And when we see how gracious he has been to us, out of a spirit of thanksgiving, we can respond and be forgiving to other people. Folks, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out in us. Did your parents let you down when you were growing up? Maybe just let them off the hook. Was this last weekend with uh, extended family leaving you drained and angrified because you were with some people you felt stuck with? How about you just let them off the hook? Are you uh, dreading going to the office in 2018 because you know it's going to be you know, the same old gossip and uh, the same old jockeying for control. How about you just let those people off the hook? Travel light in 2018. He's willing to forgive. Let's do the same. You know, I want to wrap up with this. Uh, My iPhone here will create moving slideshows with an accompanying soundtrack to any album of pictures that I ask it to. In fact, just the other day in my office, uh, just with the push of two buttons, I was watching a, a series of photos that it had curated for me with a nice little soundtrack of me and my oldest son, Judah, uh, at various moments throughout 2017. It was enough to make a dad cry. But these pictures that I was looking at, these are all um, pretty pictures of good times. Man, I, there was no pictures of any of the frustrating or hard times or all the times that Judah and I butted heads or were self-centered. And believe me, there was plenty of those times that we were both contributing to our relationship in 2017. If God put together a slideshow of all of his images he has of you in 2017 and strung it all together and started playing that for you, what would your year in review look like? 
You know, I bet there would be some winners in there. But I also bet there would be some doozies, right? But get this. When we ask, God will gladly delete any of those unsavory or unflattering images that he has of us sinning. He wants to do it. All we have to do is just call out to him in repentance. And friends, if you have, are in a moment right now where you are uncertain where you stand in the eyes of your Heavenly Father, then the, the answer and the application is perhaps closer at hand than you think. Because of God's great work for us on the cross, we can turn to him, we can repent, and we can have a renewed spirit, a renewed peace in this new year. And because of God's work on the cross, we can forgive Things can be forgotten by us and the things that we've done can be forgotten. We can have a renewed peace and a renewed closeness to him and assurance of how close we are with him in this new year. Friends, God's memory is driven by God's love. So let's pray to him right now together. Would you pray with me? And Lord Jesus, how good you are And we embrace the fullness of who you are. Your character is consistent and sure. You are a God who never forgets. And that is a good thing. And you're a God who always forgets. And that's an equally good thing. And we rest in your care. We want to build a life upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ himself. Take this with us into the new year. Help us to understand what we need to release and what we need to confess. And we pray this in the relevant name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.